Hey, one thing that um, we didn't mention, and I wanted to take my time with it, is um, as most of you know, we partnered up. Uh, God, we were praying, God, send us somebody to work with our youth. Send us someone to work with our teenagers. And uh, in walked a perfect setup. And uh, Zach, uh, if you don't know Zach Anderson, stand real quick, brother. Zach uh, has worked in this area since he was about 14 probably, uh, just working with kids. And then those kids grew into teenagers. And uh, he had actually started a teen uh, center. Uh, It's called Pathways uh, Fellowship Community Teen Center. And I know I butchered that name. But, uh, and I said, and then he came in and I said, well, here we go. And he and I sat down over several weeks and just talked how it was going to look. And I said, we, we're not trying to take over your place, but what we want to do is partner with you. Send all of our kids, once they reach a certain age, that way. And he brings, starts bringing them in here. And, uh, and the ones that don't go to church, he brings them over here. So it's been a great, great blessing. But here's the thing. Uh, they are having on July the 30th from 11... And we don't get out of service till a little bit after 11, so you might go in late, all right? But on, Ju- on July 30th, right here at the Preacher Laughlin Center, they're having a fundraiser for Pathways Teen Center. And uh, here's the good part about it. It's a, it's a by donation. That's not the good part because you're going to give good because that's how we do it, right? All right. Um, but it's to, uh, the, all the money's going to Pathways. It's going to re- re- restore their floor uh, and do some other things that he has and just pay bills overall. There's going to be a spaghetti dinner. Uh, I think the information is probably on the screen right now. Um, but it's from 11 until 3. So you have time, we'll get out of service, then we're all going to go to path, uh, to Pritchard Laughlin and have lunch, okay? So make plans for July 30th to have lunch with Zach. He's buying. Make plans to have lunch with Zach and let's bless Pathways. Listen, we're going to bless our own, right? So let's let's make it let's make good on it. Uh, let's not let him regret uh, hooking up to us. <laughs> Amen. Hey, we are so glad you're here. If this is your first time, welcome. If you're if this is your second time here, welcome home. Um, that's just how we feel about it. We have been in a series entitled "Finding Him in the Hymns." And uh, we've been looking at some old hymns. We don't usually do a lot of hymns, um, but we've been trying to throw them in our our worship set for the last several weeks. Uh, Last week, um, Zach just continued with the series on standing on the promises that y'all did realize that was that that hymn was sung here last week right even though our regular worship team didn't sing it uh they went that's why i appreciate joe and all of that they do they just went right along like part of the part like they are part of the family and uh zag brought a great message in walking in the promises then before that we looked at nothing but the blood before that we looked at the love of god guess what we're going to look at today Oh yeah, that was hard to figure out, wasn't it? Hey, what is grace? See, we can throw that word around so much, and uh, but I don't think a lot of times we really understand what that word is all about. Grace, according to Webster, 
said this, he said, grace is favor. It is goodwill, it's kindness. It's the free love and favor of God. So I th- we, we might have to do a message series on favor and what it means to be favored by God. But it's the free love and favor of God. It's the spring source of all the benefits men receive from him. Then Vine's expository dictionary says this, that, favor, that grace is the friendly disposition from which the kindly act proceeds. Graciousness, loving kindness, goodwill, especially in reference to the divine favor. In this respect, there is stress on its freeness. Well, so I I love those definitions because when we talk about grace, we're not talking about God just saying, well, I'm going to spare you because I'd rather not deal with you. It's not God putting up with us. Grace is a friendly disposition. And we need to understand when God comes to to dealing with us, he's going to deal with us from a place of grace, a friendly disposition. Sometimes we don't get get painted the picture of God this way. We get painted all kinds of different pictures of God. But today, I want you to understand it's a kindly, it's a friendly disposition. That's where God wants to be with you in a constant state of friendship. That's what he loves about you. That's what he misses. That's what happened when, when man sinned in the garden. And, and, and man tried to run. It was never God running. We'll cover that in, in a minute. But I want to take his grace a step further. Go to John chapter one. In John chapter one, I think we're going to look at what verse 14, yeah. It says the word became flesh and dwelled among us. He's talking about Jesus. And we saw his glory, the glory as the only son of the father. Now look at that, what it says about him. Full of grace and truth. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at the son of God full of grace. Everything he did, he, he operates from a place of grace. And, and, and I know grace can sometimes be a weird and funny thing as we, as we look at it. But let's, let's just read on. John bore witness of him, verse 15. John bore witness of him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. We have all received from his fullness grace upon grace we have received from his fullness kindly dispositioned and inclined to show favor upon favor upon favor look at verse 17 verse 17 he says for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ jesus is the embodiment of grace. Amen. And when we look at him, we can see that grace really is a person. He is grace. He is grace from the beginning of time and grace to the end. He is grace upon grace. He is the fullness of grace. He is everything that God sent and filled in him with grace. So the first thing I want to look at is grace and salvation. Grace and salvation. Ephesians chapter 2. You should have guessed we were going there, preachers. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse (coughs) 4. But God being rich 
in mercy. We all should have said amen right there. (laughs) But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By Jesus, made alive in Christ. By that grace, we've been saved. It goes on to say, and he was, and he raised us up together. He raised us up and seated us together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what grace did for you? This favor of God says that I am going to lift you up to where I am. And if Jesus was seated in heaven, he just slid right over. And the invitation was given to all of us. Come up here and sit with me. You see, when we understand that God desires for you to sit with him and not just be below him. But my disposition is when I come before him, I've been trained for so long to think that he just tolerates me and he puts up with me and he's just waiting for me to mess up, you know? But that's not his disposition to me. His disposition is saying, come up here and help me. Sit on the throne with me. Partner with me as I rule and as I reign. You see, grace came so that you could be seated with Christ. And he has raised us up and seated us together in heavenly places in, in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming age, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. Everything he's done has been done to show you favor. Well, what did I do to deserve it? That's the great thing. Nothing. Matter of fact, I did everything not to deserve it. I did a whole lot of stuff where he said, oh, no. But that's not how he saw me. He looked down and he saw past everything and all he saw was the blood of Jesus and that blood said that we are on a good place and we are good friends. So come up here, sit with me. His dispossession, disposition is to seat you in heaven. It's where you're supposed to be. Verse eight. Let me really finish verse seven. So that in the coming ages, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, I don't know what you've been told about God, but I'll tell you this, if they didn't tell you he's kind and they didn't tell you that he is just predisposed to be gracious to you and predisposed to be kind to you. Somebody didn't give you the full news because the full news is he says it's an invitation to come up and sit with him. It's an invitation to have a relationship with him. Grace draws us in to the presence of God. That's the only thing that God has saved in the first place. Let me tell you something. It wasn't some weird prayer that you prayed. It wasn't, that's a weird prayer. No, it's not a weird prayer. But we can't say the right magical words. 
to get us there. It was only by his grace. The only word that I had that was ever acceptable, Zach, was yes. Yeah. That's the only word. It's yes, I'll take it. Yes, what you have for me is mine. And he said, if you'll for by grace, are you saved? Yeah. The moment you decided to believe it through faith. Amen. That's all it is. The moment you decided to believe it is grace brought you into the throne room of God. Amen. Said, sit here with me. Start seeing things from my perspective. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, how do you know it wasn't something I did? Well, the rest of the verses tells us this. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. You can do nothing. You on your own, Brent, can do nothing to get yourself right with God. Can't do it. You don't have the ability... But, it, but thank God he didn't leave it in your hands. <laughs> thank God it wasn't left up to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. In that not of yourselves, it is the gift. Not a gift. It is the gift. It's the one. It is the gift of God. Folks, this is where God wants you. This is how God looks for you, how he desires for you. There's nothing you can do. How do I know? Because of verse 9. Not of works. You know what works is, right? Something you do. Not of works, lest no one should boast. In other words, if it was something I did that that got myself into God's good favor, then I can walk around bragging that I did this. I got me this. See, when we, when we start having this kind of works-based mentality about the grace of God and our salvation, what we basically, and would never say it out loud, Randy, we would never say this out loud, I know how to manipulate God. I do just the right things for him. Oh, try that over here. Somebody over here might be listening. I'll do just the right things for him. And if I do just the right things, then he'll get me where I need to be. So what did he do? He said, I'm going to take you out of this equation completely. And it's only by Jesus. It's only through Jesus. By grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. Not, you can't brag about it. You can't say you did anything about this. He's going to do it for you. <laughs> and this is... Our salvation, it is the free action of God. Jerry Bridges said this, he wrote, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You know what that tells me? Doc, that tells me, I just need grace. I need it every day, whether it's a good day, whether it's a bad day, I need grace. Whether it's a good day in your life or a bad day in your life, you need grace. You need to understand that God loves you and he wants to invite you into his house. Let's read that same set of scriptures. I want to read out the Amplified Classic version here. The Amplified, because it defines a lot of words in the middle of it, says, but God is so rich 
is he in his mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he has loved us even when we were dead slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses even when I was dead in sin grace came to find me even when I wasn't looking for it grace came to find even when I wasn't calling out for it grace came to find even when I tried to run real hard away from it grace came to find me he said even when we were dead slain by our own trespasses our own shortcomings He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. The same new life which he quickened him. For it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved. Delivered from judgment. That's what the word saved means. Delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. He raised us up together and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ. I couldn't get myself there. I had to get in Christ. The Messiah, the anointed one. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor. In his kindness and his goodness of heart toward us in Christ, for it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. See, it's all I had to do was say yes. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone could possibly do, so no one can pride himself in it or take glory what's so amazing about grace it is the basis remember jesus is that fulfillment he's grace full of grace it is the basis of everything we believe it's the basis of salvation and this grace is so big it can take a titanic size problem and turn it around There is no salvation without grace. There is none. Not my words, not my deeds, not my actions. Grace is salvation. (laughs) So so, what else is so amazing about grace? Well, grace turns shame into acceptance. Grace will turn your shame into into acceptance. What is shame? Listen what Webster says about shame. Shame is a painful sensation. Don't raise your hands, but have you ever felt that one? Shame, a painful sensation excited by the consciousness of guilt. Some of us are so aware of our guilt. We remember it so much, yet in all of our remembrance of guilt, we've forgotten grace. (laughs) It is a painful sensation, excited by the consciousness of guilt or having done something which injures reputation. 
I began to do some, some study over the week and, and just the effects of shame. If you're dealing with shame here today, let me, let me tell you something. Stop. See, you walk in a place of grace. The effects of shame on our lives is first is low self-esteem. It always happens. It gives us low self-esteem. We, we, we have feelings of worthlessness, flawed. We feel like we're unlovable. And these lead to absolute problems functioning in everyday life. Then there's social withdrawal. When we're dealing with shame, it, it causes us to withdraw socially. It makes us want to avoid social situations. It makes us, uh, uh, because we're, we're afraid we're going to be judged or rejected. So what do we do? We stay home. We avoid interacting. And what happens? What's the result of that? Loneliness, depression, isolation. Here's something we don't think about a lot about shame. As many of you know, I was a substance abuse counselor for 15 years. One of the biggest, not the biggest, but a huge reason that you saw a lot of people walk in addiction is shame. It was the only way they knew how to hide themselves. The only way they knew how to, 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 to overcome themselves. And so it becomes a driving force behind of a lot of addiction. And let me tell you how it doesn't get better. Because you'll take the addict and they use. And let me tell you, they didn't start out to be an addict. They don't want to be an addict. But they use. And then as they start sobering up, then they feel ashamed of everything they've done. And they feel shame of what, what, what they've experienced, what they've caused their friends, what they've caused their family, what they've caused their children, what they've allowed themselves to be. So, so not to feel this, I use again. And then when I start sobering up again, then I said, I said I was never going to do that again. I'm letting everybody down. I'm going through this. And so this becomes a cycle of shame. And what's the answer? It becomes addiction. And so they begin to engage in addictive, destructive behaviors. And then it leads to mental health issues. Shame, shame, shame is huge, folks. You know, God never, wanted, never intended you to feel, well, we should be ashamed of our actions. You should be ashamed of what you were in the past. Except for that one thing that we talked about a few weeks ago. When Jesus took our sin and he remembers them no more. So if he don't remember where I was or who I was with or how I did it, why in the world do I spend most of my life trying to get over what I was when God himself doesn't remember it anymore? You have to begin to let grace is the only way when you understand that God loves you unconditionally. Amen. And when I understand that, I can start to walk away from my past. And then the mental, then it leads to mental health problems. Depression, anxiety, eating disorders. Then that, what's that do? That leads to health problems. All of this is a result of shame. All of this is a result of shame. If I told you the stuff that I did in my past, some of you know, you would be like, <laughs> it's, it's my, one of my favorite things because I, I find it so different about myself now. 
was when a, a mutual f person that Dee and I was knew, they found out she was marrying me and they didn't know me now. They didn't know me after grace. They told her, I can't believe you're marrying him. That guy's evil. Don't you feel ashamed about that? Not one bit. You should. No, why should I? If God doesn't remember that person, why should I waste my life reliving all the mess that I have been forgiven of? Yeah, but you went so long, you did so much. Okay, so what? Grace. We talked about Wednesday night. What's the word say? When sin does abound, grace. People say it all the time, and I'm going to say it today just like I said it Wednesday. People say, well, the world's just full of sin, the full of sin. I said, tell me the bad news. Well, there's people sinning more and more. Tell me the bad news. See, you've got the wrong idea. You think sin's bigger than grace. When the Word says, where sin does abound, where there's a lot of sin, there's a lot more grace. Where there's a lot of sin, there's a lot more grace. We need to start letting people know that this grace will deliver them. It'll take care of mental health problems. It'll take, I'm not saying don't go to doctors. Don't, don't do that. But I'm telling you, a lot of people are struggling with a lot of things just because of shame. And grace wants to overcome shame in your life. Shame has the ability to completely cripple us. It is, it is the, one of the first issues that mankind ever dealt with. Go to Genesis chapter 3. The Word tells us Adam was out in the garden. Serpent comes. Take a bite. Can't take a bite. God said, if you take a bite, I'll surely die. Is that really what he said? <laughs> and the word says that she took the fruit, she gave her, she took a bite. And for men who blame Eve, read the rest of the scripture. It says she turned around and gave to her husband with her. He stood right there. Could have stopped it. <laughs> we'll get into that another day. And... All of a sudden, the word says that their eyes were open. They looked around and figured out they were naked. And so when God come down to have his, his, his walk, evening walk with them, the word says that they hid themselves. Why? It was shame. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says, and the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You're not alone if you think you're the only one that's ever dealt with shame. It is the basis thought that came to mankind. Go to Job chapter 7. And if you don't want to turn the page, it's on the screen. Job chapter 7, verse 16. Look what Job says about himself. I loathe my life. You ever been there? He said, I loathe my life. I would not live forever, let, alone, let me alone. For my days are emptiness. Man. What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him? 
and that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you look away from me? How long, I'm sorry, until you look away from me? What's he doing? He doesn't think he's even worthy to be viewed by God. Sounds like somebody else we just heard about. How long till you look away from me? Will you not let me alone until I swallow my saliva? And that's what shame is. Shame causes us to run from God. And I don't know what you've went through in your life. And I don't know where you're at with God. But maybe you've been running from him because you didn't think. You had some idea that whatever you've done was bigger than God's grace to bring you back into the family. See, there's a lady and a guy hiding one day doing things that men and women do in private. And all of a sudden, a group of men jumped them. They capture the woman. Nobody ever does tell us what they did with the man. But they capture the woman and they take her to the temple because Jesus was holding a meeting there. And they throw her down at Jesus' feet. And they said, according to the law, according to the law, she should be stoned. What do you say? And without, without a word, he bends down, writes something in the dirt. And it says that all those who saw it, one by one, begin to drop their stones. From the oldest one to the youngest one. John chapter 8, verse 10. And when Jesus had stood up, he saw no one. And he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Did no one condemn you? Imagine you're caught in the act. Well, her act is no different than everybody else's act. We've all been caught in the act of something. (laughs) And shame has overtaken all of us at some point. And he says, woman, where's your accusers? Is there no one here to accuse you? And look at verse 11. And she said, no one, Lord. And here's what grace answers about your sin. Neither do I condemn you. Back that up. Neither do I. So you think God's just waiting to judge you. You think God's been waiting for you to foul it up so he can take this chance to go ahead and get rid of you. But see, the answer of grace is something totally different. The answer of grace says, well, who's the ones that's going to condemn you? Is there anybody around? No, there's nobody around. And his answer, grace's answer, is neither do I condemn you. See, grace loves you right where you are. Amen. <laughs> grace loves you. It changes everything. Her life would never be. Grace finds you where you are. Grace loves you right where you are. But I want to tell you this. Grace loves you too much to leave you where you are. Look what his answer is. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
See, there's a response to grace that I have to do now. Is the thing that caused the shame in the first place, go and don't do it no more. The thing that brought the hell in my own life, go and don't do it no more. The thing that great grace says, hey, I don't condemn you, but if you want to get past this, then go and don't do it no more. See, I love you where you're at. I love you in your mess, but I love you too much to leave you in it. And he said, go and sin no more. There has to be a response to this grace. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. This is how grace sees your sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Who's in charge of that? (laughs) You. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. That you should obey it in its lust. Do not yield your members to sin. Well, God, if you'll just take this away from me. He said, just stop doing it. It's yours. Quit. What an amazing concept. He said, and don't yield yourselves, your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead. And your bodies are, and 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 your bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Well, I can't help it. According to scripture, you can. Now we start, now let me tell you, let's, let's, if we're talking addiction and things like that, addiction changes your, your, your makeup. That's a medical issue. There's a healing that needs to come in here, okay? But for most of the stuff that I struggle with, look what Grace's answer is. Stop. I'm not over here condemning you what he told her but he did give her a command don't go and don't do it no more he said for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace what then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace look what he says God forbid so first grace is the absolute basis of our salvation secondly how does grace turns sin of shame into acceptance. Have y'all seen the TV uh, commercials that's on here about, it just says that God gets us? Oh, I love them. Folks, that's the other thing about grace. Grace gets us. He understands. He understands what we're going through. He understands what we're facing. He understands everything that you and I have gone through. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who was in every sense tempted like we are, yet without sin. So what's grace response? How much does God really get me? How much does grace really get me? He says, now I want you to, let's, let's, science experiment, you ready? Think of the absolute worst sin you can think of right now. 
The thing that you think, how in the world can anyone do that? Now I want you to picture and understand Jesus was tempted with that very thing. Wait a minute, you're talking about Jesus. Tempted in every sense. Tempted like we are. But the good thing was, yet without sin. He didn't fall into it. Now I want you to understand. You say, well, you don't know how hard this is. He does. He gets you. Because the worst thing that you want to do is the very thing that he wanted to do. The thing that you thought that you couldn't overcome was something that he was tempted himself to do, but didn't. He understands. Grace understands. The Passion Translation of of Hebrews 4.15 says this, says, He understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are and conquered sin. He understands every evil desire you have. Every dark thought has went through his mind. Well, nobody gets it. Nobody understands. He does. Because you may be tempted with something that I look at and go, not me, I could never do that. But what, you can, what, what you're tempted with that I think I can never do, you may look at me and go, oh, what you do? Oh, I can never do that. But there's one who understands. And he says, I can do this without sin so that you can do this without sin. Isaiah chapter 49, we're almost there. Isaiah 49, verse 14 But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Look what Grace's answer is. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget. See, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. He has inscribed you Yeah, but God, you just don't get it. Remember when Lazarus died? He said, show me where they laid him. And he come up over the hill and he saw how everybody wept and everybody mourned. And it said it hurt his heart. And then what did he do? He cried. He understands. He understands the things that hurt you. He gets the things that make you cry. It says, and Jesus wept, and he said that some of them looked at him and said, oh, look how much he loved Lazarus. And others said, well, if he would have been here, he could have been healed. But I want you to understand, he, he saw their hurt, and it brought a response in him. He sees your hurt today, and it brings a response to him. Last time, go back to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read this Scripture, I want to add the next verse into it though. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every sense tempted like we are, yet without sin. And look at the invitation. Verse 16. Let us come with confidence 
to the throne of grace. Let us come with confidence. Well, I can't go before God. He don't want me there. And his instruction is come with confidence. Put your chest up. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad it was. He says, pick your head up. Confident people don't walk around like this. (laughs) Their heads are raised. Their chest is out. They know they belong in the room. He said, come before the throne of grace. How? Confidently. But what about all my mess? What about all my stuff? That's what grace is for. That's what grace is for. He said, come confidently before the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's an amazing grace. And I have got people who are on their way to this stage, right, to this front right now. And if you need something, anything, if you need prayer, if you don't, maybe you need to settle things in your spirit with God yourself. Maybe you need to know this grace. Maybe you need to know this Jesus. These guys would love to pray with you. Now, we do things a little different. We're not going to hold this big, long thing and draw it out. This is a relationship between you and God. This is a relationship between you and Jesus. But if you have a need in this place, these guys want to pray with you. And when I close here in just a moment, they're ready. They're ready to talk and walk with you through anything you've got. And especially if you say, I need to know this Jesus. They really want to introduce you to their friend. Amen. If you're staying for the membership class, give us about five minutes or 10, and uh, we'll meet in the back. If not, come back Wednesday. Great stuff going on. Offering, you can do it online. You can do it in the two boxes. It's on the wall as you walk out the door. But let me tell you, grace is chasing you down. You can't outrun it. You can't get away from it. So why not let grace love you? Amen? Have a wonderful, wonderful week.